This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you for taking the time to join me again on today. And as always, a special welcome to those of you who are joining us for the very first time. Glad to to have you. We're doing something again. We're going to segue again. I I went back last week and I went back to the, the EQ series and was talking specifically about red flags. And I gave a whole list. Of course, it was not an all-inclusive list, but I gave a list of things that we might see in self or others that are cues to either either examine ourselves more and check ourselves and work on ourselves, or it could be a red flag that comes up in other people that lets us know we either need to manage that situation or take appropriate actions so that we can optimize our interactions with teams or things of that nature. I thought it would be fitting to have another segue again, instead of moving on with some of the topic-based content, I think it's a good time to share some stories. So for that reason, we are mixing in again, sort of a semi type of a talk and shop. And I have brought my partners in crime back that I had a few weeks ago. Today, we've got Eric Shoemake with us again today and Michelle Packrun. Hey, Eric. Hey, Michelle. Uh, glad, glad to have you folks today. And we're going to continue the conversation around EQ red flags. So we're just going to tell some stories. We're going to build on the, the the items that I talked about last week and the bonus uh, red flags that I talked about. And we're just going to tell some stories today. We're going to talk about different things and just have a conversation around EQ red flags, what we've seen, what we've experienced how we've overcome different things, things of that nature. And we're just going to be all over the place. So another special edition of Talking Shop. uh, But this time we're going to focus on it from the EQ Red Flags perspective. So I'm not going to start off today. I'm going to let our guests, I'm going to do what I do when I talk to my my students. When we have my virtual office hours, I say, you folks control the tempo. Where do you want to go today? So I'm going to uh, sort of toss the coin, the virtual coin up and say that, okay, it landed on Michelle. So oh, Michelle gets to start. <laughs> Michelle gets to start us off today. Which direction are we going to go? And what would you like to talk about first with regard to emotional intelligence, red flags, and how they relate to operating in the world of UX? Well, I, I have like one story I was thinking about, like, regarding this that that's rather recent that i thought was interesting and it's more about um like the straw man fallacy and Mm -hmm. someone using that to uh attempt to argue with you about something um so is that cool go for it yeah absolutely Um, so uh, two months ago i i wrote an article on linkedin and it got a lot of attention at least for something that i normally write it's got like one hundred sixty-four thousand views. Wow. And basically I said, UX is not easy. It cannot be effectively learned in a few months. Yes. And so I basically was like, you know, Hey, it takes a lot to do this. It takes a lot of years. 
it's kind of hard. It uses, uh, it pulls from all kinds of different fields. Um, you can't shortcut your way through experience. And, you know, and I was a little bit, you know, I talked a little bit about boot camps. So one of the problems with boot camps, you know, and I was like, boot camps don't provide, you know, 20 years of experience. They don't, they don't, they're not a shortcut for that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's pretty much what I said, you know, I, I was trying really hard not to, you know, be like, all boot camps suck. And if you go to boot camps, you suck. I was very careful about that. And most people, like the majority of, of people who responded to it were fine. They, they, you know, they either agreed with me or if they didn't, they were very polite. But there was a, there was a few people who were, who were kind of like just snotty. And there was one person in particular who it was very trollish the way that they responded. <laughs> and at first I was kind of like, what is this thing called that she's doing? It, 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 it's the thing where you say, Hey, I love it at night when the stars come out. And then someone goes, why do you hate the sun? And then you're looking at them like what? <laughs> what? What? that thing. And apparently that's called a straw man argument where someone just completely like derails what you just said and imbues some kind of meaning into it that was not there. And now yeah. all of a sudden you're not talking about the initial thing. You're talking about that ridiculous thing they just came up with. Yeah. So that's what this person did. I was like, I am just not even going to do that. I can't, I find that kind of stuff. Uh, it's manipulation tactics. It, it's yes. a, these logical fallacies are, are, they exist to manipulate people and to pull people away from, you know, real conversations and should just abusticate reality. And I just, I'm not going to, to deal with that type of stuff. But it was interesting that this person, one, of course they called me a gatekeeper. <laughs> Which, you know, and I was thinking about that earlier today and I was like, you know what? All the people who've been called gatekeepers, me, you, Debbie, all these other people, what are we all doing? Providing content to people, yes. you and Debbie, especially tons and tons of free content, training people, teaching people, Hey, here's how to be a better UX or here's how to do it. If you, if we're all gatekeepers, we suck at being gatekeepers because <laughs> we've got the gates wide open. Yeah. Right. So I was like, that's so dumb. But of course they call me that. And then, you know, I made the, the mistake of saying in my, my little post that UX is a polymath dream. Y'all know oh, what a polymath is, right? I've you know? heard it, can't remember. So refresh us. I know somebody oh, listening a, won't remember. Basically, a mini learned person. It's somebody who has knowledge okay. in many different uh, realms, which you kind of have to have. In yes, UX. you must. Yes, you must. Yeah. And because I used a $5 word, the same person basically was like making me sound like I was some kind of a smart ass who was impressed with their intelligence. I was like, good <laughs> Lord, because I know a word you don't. That must mean I'm this. Okay. Um, and then I went and looked at their LinkedIn profile and found out that oh boy. they are not in UX. Uh-huh. Not a UX designer, UX anything. And they're in sales and marketing. Yep. And they used to work at one of the boot camps as a sales and marketer for the boot camp. So they have a coal in that fire. Yep. So I was just like, that's interesting. I, I just <laughs> I just find that stuff hysterical because people post this kind of crazy stuff on the web and yet you want to have jobs in the world, people are going to search for you and they're going to see you trolling other people, saying stupid things, being rude, <laughs> um, good luck getting jobs. That's all I'm going to say. I don't understand people who don't realize that the things that you push out into the world are forever. Right. But that was my, my latest experience of someone just kind of like trying to argue with me and fight with me. Um, and they weren't even arguing about anything I really said. They imbued everything I said with their own meaning. And then we're just having a little argument with themselves, apparently. Um, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I feel like the best way to deal with people like that is to not deal with them. I'm just not going to waste my time with people who 
who play those kind of games and who seek to manipulate reality instead of dealing with it as it is. Um, so, yeah, I think, and I know some people do these kind of logical fallacies without even thinking about it because they don't know how to properly understand a topic or to think about it and go, hey, something about this topic feels off to me, but I don't know why. Instead of clarifying yes. with the person, what do you really mean? No, no, no. Let me imbue it with my own meaning and then get mad about what I just thought it meant. It's so goofy. And it, it's like 99% of the arguments we have on this planet are people basically arguing against something that doesn't exist. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's it. So if I can say anything to anybody, don't do that. Uh, if you have a question about what somebody has said, ask them to clarify before you imbue it with all this meaning and then get upset about it. And what a novel you- idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> We've been asking questions since we were kids. If you don't understand, ask. Yeah. But people are letting you know that they have another agenda when they oh, yeah. don't ask. Yeah, absolutely. They don't and they don't really want answers. Then they have the imaginary conversation. And if you're not careful, you're talking about what they what they the implied message, the one that they implied through their imagination instead of what you actually said. Yeah. Uh, I and actually that's the whole goal. Yeah, yeah. I, I historically have referred to that as hijacking. <laughs> it, it's a type of gaslighting. Uh, it's a type of deflection. It's definitely an EQ red flag. It's uh, I tell people all the time, and I said it recently on, on LinkedIn. Do you, if you agree with something I said, or if you disagree, fine. Share the data. Yes. That's the source of your disagreement, and then we all learn. Some people, however, don't understand that there's a difference between disagreeing and disavowing. If you if you don't understand what was said, you really don't disagree yet because you don't know what you're you don't know what you're responding to. Yep. But because we're so dependent and we it's such a beautiful resource. I mean, if it had not been for LinkedIn or social media, would we know each other? No. <laughs> More than likely, we would not. So how many? How many? Uh, relationships have we all developed? All of us, us, the listeners, how many people have we come in contact with that have helped us to sharpen our saws? How many people have we come in contact with that have inspired us to be better and to do more? If if we don't grab a hold and embrace you, uh, EQ so that we mm-hmm. can have fruitful interactions, we don't get the benefits. So it And, and so people who don't have the EQ who don't embrace. I'm so glad you brought this up, Michelle, because like, how do we talk about social media problems with EQ? Cause that, that's it. People, the, people that lack EQ, they're all over social media. They're the trolls are everywhere. They start fights. They have no intent. Uh, I had somebody, and, and before we get to Eric, so I'm going to, I want to throw this in there. Someone who uh, attacked me on LinkedIn the other day. I don't know if you folks saw this. Uh, someone didn't like something I said, uh, and they came back and they, uh, someone who calls himself the queen of UX, which is, a, which is a, an act of, I'm, we're actually going to have a breakdown of, uh, in coming weeks about sociopathy and narcissism <laughs> because sociopathy and narcissism are both uh, taking place at epidemic levels in UX today. And when you dub yourself, can you imagine a person going to Nottingham Palace, grabbing the, the sword and knighting themselves? Uh, you you can't, you can't dub it. And, and I told the person, I said, how, how do you, who called you the queen of UX? Um, and I've been doing UX for 26 years and I just call myself a practitioner. Since when do you, are these people coming in who don't know anything 
coming around because she's not the only one that calls herself the queen of UX. Come around and call you call your dub yourself royalty. Um, <laughs> and then I don't I don't agree with what you said because I've never experienced it. And so I oh ask. Oh my god, your your you, anecdotal evidence must how <laughs> everything. People like, do not understand that your singular experience does not invalidate everything by else's experience. <laughs> Because UX is not nothing. Yes. <laughs> UX is not a monarchy. <laughs> I'm like, wow, really? You know, okay, you haven't seen it before. You should have stopped there. That was fine. Because I'm not, it's my experience, but you had your experience too. But if that's if you never experienced it, I told the person, I said, I listen to people all over the world. I have my experiences. You have yours. You share. Michelle shares her experience. Eric shares his experience. Darren shares her experience. Now everybody who's who's hearing and listening to these experiences, we get to add those to our repertoire. Now our perspectives are broader because now we can take into mind what somebody else has said. Unless anybody has data to the contrary, you can't shoot down anything that anybody says. We just keep learning and we keep expanding. But when you say, oh, what Michelle just said. I'm not listening to that because I've never seen it. Oh yes. Oh, great one. What? So I I said, I said, I I told the person flat out, do you mean to tell me that because you have no knowledge of what I just said, that you have rendered my experience completely invalid? I said, do you realize what you're saying? (laughs) And of course the, the person, pardon. Did they reply? Uh, they replied, but you know how trolls do. They trolls never, I even did a post once recently about the traits of a troll. When you respond to a troll, they never respond in kind. They only respond to their imaginary, uh, thought the conversation they're having with you in their head that you're not really there. But for some reason that imaginary conversation becomes reality and, and everything revolves around their imagination of what took place. But the things that are in reality, they never respond to that. So she never really addressed what I said. She only, she picked and she, she did certain things. I said, okay. And, and I'm like you, I'm, I'm not going to spend time with the trolls and it's not because they make me angry. It's not because I'm trying to be unfair and considerate. I'm trying not to waste my time. Yep. And, and I'm trying to make sure I have a, I don't know how many people do this, I have an unwritten rule, and sometimes it's written because I've actually said it. I don't like people disrespecting the folks who take the time to interact when I post something. If if you're going to disrespect everyone's time and say ridiculous things, and and then instead of at worst case scenario disagreeing agreeably, once you cross that line. Uh, and it becomes a waste of time and insulting people's intelligence and speaking to people like children. None of us need to, I mean, we're all out here volunteering our time and said, nobody needs to go through that. So if you're going to be that disrespectful, I will block you because nobody needs to waste their time. I will give people an opportunity to disagree agreeably, but the people who do that fail to understand something. Like I told somebody today, uh, I don't like people who come out there and say, yeah, you know, what you said, it really applies to of things beyond UX. <sighs> I'm only talk about, talking about, I actually told somebody that today. I'm only talking about UX and I only care about UX. So the fact that what I said applies, that's inconsequential. I, I don't, 
I'm not really concerned about that. And, and what did you really add to the conversation by saying that? Are you saying something that none of us see? Do you really believe that? And it's always a second or a third degree connection that does it. It's, it's, it's somebody who knows nothing. And, and, and these are the people who lack EQ. And we'll jump over to Eric in a minute. I promise. The people who lack EQ look at when you respond to somebody so that you can use social media properly and, and, and make sure that you're invoking the, the proper aspects and levels of emotional intelligence. Look at somebody's profile. When, when you see what they say, look at their profile. How much experience do they have? Where are they coming from? What, what's behind the statement? I, I just, I firmly believe in that. And, and like when they put out this UX state of UX, I, I, and I've said, I've on record as saying before, there are three classifications of people that have really struggled to transition into UX and really are notorious for treating experienced UXers bad. Developers, art directors, uh, art, art slash creative directors, and visual designers. Some of them do make the transition, but some of the most vicious people, I mean, they get downright rude. It's always somebody in one of those three. Uh, the marketing people on the outskirts, they do too sometimes. But for the most part, it's the the three amigos, we can call of the, the those three groups. Those are the ones that make these outlandish statements. They're the ones that like to shut us down. They're the ones that keep us from getting positions. They're the ones that don't want to hire you. If you've got 20 years in UX, they want nothing to do with you because they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna lose their their grip, their 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 uh, G.I. Joe Kung Fu grip on the team because they they don't. I've just come across it a lot. I know there are people that do make the transition. I know some great people that have, but it's usually like one out of ten. It's mm-hmm. it's very few. And and but I have seen, oh, yeah, we're interviewing Darren. Oh, uh Nice to meet you. Then the passive aggressivism and the masks uh, start to take off, and they 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 you they don't connect with you on LinkedIn. They they never talk to you again, and then they hire ten people after that, none of which have any experience. It, it's uh, this is what I've seen usually from those kind of people. One company with the nine hundred. I keep talking about this lately with the nine hundred. Uh, UX member oh, UX team. Better is that who it was? Better.com who just laid off 900 people. Not those. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this oh, company okay. quiet. I'm not gonna say who this company oh. is. Not better because uh, that was sad. What they did also. This this is a very popular company. It's a big name company, and they have over 900 people on their UX team. Oh, and wow. and when I interviewed with them, the manager I interviewed with um, had four years of developer experience, zero years of UX experience, and she was the UX manager. Yeah, that's, that, a huge that's a sign that somebody has no idea what in the world is going on, but they didn't have a place for me. And and, and that's like the, the 30th time that's happened to me over the course of my career. So it, it's just really, really sad, but it's also happening all over the place. I interviewed with Facebook, same thing, but I'm, I'm going to get on a soapbox. I'm going to run off and we got to hear from Eric. So I'm going to stop myself right there. Eric, come on in. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the legacy stakeholders of the turf wars, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of legendary. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the reasons that uh, some of these inexperienced people get in leadership positions is because of that, because the folks they report to want somebody who's going to be malleable. They want someone who's going to be able to, 
yep. take the nudge as opposed to be independent or ethical or, or have experience outside of that context, right? So sometimes it's deliberate, which is a form of maybe experience gaslighting, right? Yes, and, it is. And, you know, another one that comes up a lot is this is gaslighting in the, in the terms of democratizing. Ooh. which is a really ironic use of the term, right? It's upside down use of the term against people who are already empathetic and collaborative, right? Researchers, for example. Um, but I've had stakeholders say, you know, and I will not, <laughs> I will not uh, give any hints on the context, uh, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Uh, some version of this has happened in various degrees uh, in, 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 uh, more often than not. And it's a stakeholder saying, you know, essentially they don't believe in research. Yeah. To which I'll say, you know, it's, I mean, you can not believe in hats, but they still exist, right? So, <laughs> so, but then I'm told to officially say that maybe hats don't exist, or if, if I win that hats exist, they, they're, they're actually the word we use for sandwiches, right? Uh, meaning that they'll say, okay, we'll call it this, but then it means that, right? And so I'll, then I'm ending up having to say some version of, um, okay, we can call hat sandwiches, but if, if we eat them, it, it, it might not be good, right? Like, I, I don't know if that tracks, it's, 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 it, but it's this sort of, you know, logical trap that we get into a lot because, uh, you know, claiming that research just doesn't, isn't even legitimate, right? That you got to go with your gut or you got to just respond to the market. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, um, you know, I was thinking back earlier to, to, you know, what Michelle was saying about communications and, and, you know, thinking that maybe the, the tower of Babel wasn't, uh, um, you know, maybe it's more of an axiom about uh, information systems, right? Like the more <laughs> complex they get, uh, the the more they're they're going to fail under their own sort of physics, right? Where things get get uh, turned upside down, and uh, you know, the argument can be made that hierarchical monoliths like that, you know, that the very trade off is. Uh, you know, sort of a lot of really wasteful, almost dumb things get done, but that's the price you pay for stability, right? But it, it you know, ultimately they just don't work because they don't, they're too limited. The hierarchies. Yeah. I know I go through a lot of abstracts there, but, um, uh, <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> what I look at is sort of the patterns, right? And these patterns fit a lot of different situations and the situations, um, you know, they're, they're really some form of either misdirection, like you were saying, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the red herring, right? Like, oh, well, hey, look at this. There's a, you know, it's a completely false thing that, you know, people go after because, you know, it's, it's a non sequitur. But, um, you know, the, the more base version of that is now what about ism? Right. And so if you say something uh, legitimate, right, uh, maybe a critique of, of, uh, you know, the democratization of, of UX, right? Which democratization is good, but nobody talks about the democratization of the C-suite, right? Um, <laughs> right? So it's just a way, like that That kind of lays it bare, right? Like it, that concept is so ridiculous. And that's how democratization of, of UX and UX research sounds to practitioners, but everyone else is like, oh, great, we can get our turf back. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Where developers will try to do a thing, well, like, hey, we're all just going to do like little dotted voting on this on on you know the Slack channel, and then like whoever wins, and then they'll set up a certain number of people included in that Slack channel, and so it's like democratized. It's like no, that's a that's a fixed election, you know, with with selected <laughs> selected voters, right? And none of them are objective. So it's good to yep. always get, you know, stakeholder input uh, and, and, and to map that, but you can't let that drive. Yeah. And, 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 and people don't realize that all of that stuff ties into EQ and critical thinking. If I can pull that in there, because critical thinking is another as is basically an aspect of emotional intelligence and it gets lost in the shuffle. And people just decide, how, how are you going to, it's funny, I'm going to double back. It's, isn't it funny that people want to democratize things associated with UX? Not only do they not want to, not will they uh, democratize what's happening from the C-suite. Mm-hmm. Development is not democratized. Um, your uh, QA work is not democratized. The PM work is not democratized. I'm going to say I started off as a designer, right? I went to school for graphic design. And when I started in this universe uh, as a web designer back in the day, I'll tell you this. I have, I used to work with a development partner. No one would ever stand over his neck and try to tell him how to write a conditional statement or anything. Uh But anybody who matched their socks that day had an opinion (laughs) on what I designed. Oh, there it is. My whole career. And that translates because, you know, people still think UX means UI. So that yeah. that's why they want to democratize UX because all it is is what it looks like, right? And I painted my wall green. So I like colors. <laughs> so I know design. That's why that's happening because everybody thinks that they're a designer. Everybody thinks they have good yeah. taste. Yeah. And they think yeah. that's what UX is but they would never do that they would never could you imagine a bunch of developers in a room and then you tell them we're going to go bring the janitor in and some secretaries yep. and some other yep. randos in the organization and we're going to have them vote on how you're going to code this thing they would lose never. their mind never. we're, we're going to let the sales team make all the decisions right yeah. <laughs> and it's it's, a, it's it has an element of visual to it it must mean everybody can be a part of it right. because it's just subjective right Right. So that's why that's that way. And, and everybody, and I should probably explain what, what, what I mean when I'm getting at the democracy. And I, actually, I think you did the, the democratization. It's just everybody's bringing something to the table. Everybody brings expertise to the table and, and things work the best. Not that everybody doesn't contribute. Everybody contributes. I mean, we need input from subject matter experts to do what we do, but they're not, we still drive the car. It's like we got a bunch, we got a we got a minivan with people from every discipline in that minivan, but we when it comes to the experience, we drive it. But somebody else may know the trip. Matter of fact, somebody else should know the entire trip better than us. And 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 that's where uh there's a difference. People are taking collaboration and they, they're referring they say that they're democratizing, but they're really collaborating. And there's a difference between collaborating. And democratizing. And, and I, you know, one of the things that I think is really important, even for our listeners today, to understand that, that that's what I'm getting at. Is it is everybody contributing or are we, I mean, because if, if you get to the visual design, I'm, I'm used to working with the visual designers and usually we were taught in the agencies, bring three options. And you come with the three options and you're going to get the input. But, by, but the deciding comes before the three options come forth. What they they pick whatever I couldn't care less, but you're gonna pick 
You're, you should. If you're doing it ethically, you're going to bring three options. Even on the UX side, when we're bringing options on how to do certain things, we come with multiple options as well sometimes. But you're going to shoot your best shot at that point. And you're going to bring things. You're not going to do the hairy arms thing from Disney where that, that's unethical. Everybody know about the, hair, the hairy arms? No, what does that mean? Which is, which is and, it, the, and uh, before I even describe it, just know that from an EQ perspective, the more emotionally intelligent you are, the less likely you are to be victimized by the hairy arms treatment. The hairy <laughs> arms treatment was when, when like, say, I, the way the story goes was something on the line of when Disney was doing the animation for, for the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had to come up with different, okay, we've got to, we got to come up with how are we going to represent these, these seven dwarves characters and they would have options and the designers had their bias and they wanted to go a particular way. So they wanted to influence the people who were making the decision about the design. So if they, well, we don't, I don't like this guy. I like this one better. We want them, we want them to pick this one. Some of you have been there before too. And so you start tweaking things, trying to influence the people making the decisions. So they would draw the character they didn't want anybody to have. They would do things like give them hairy arms. And then the <laughs> <laughs> and then that's where the hairy arms thing came from. So of course, the people making the selection, they don't pick the hairy arms. No, 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 they do. Because I know exactly what you're talking about. In the world of design, you bring three and you make the third one crap because of course they'll never that's choose it. it. That's what the world that's choose it. that way. That's Every what they single do. time they will choose the crappy one. And then you just screwed yourself. <laughs> Always the- show a work. That's my two cents on that. If you ever have to show options. <laughs> Make sure you believe in every single one of them and can can work with everyone because they will always choose the worst. And that's why my my philosophy is shoot your best shot because you know they're going to pick something. Don't pick something you don't want them to use. Yep. In that old Harry Arm story, the Harry Arm version didn't get selected. And they gave the Harry Arms because they knew about the biases of the people that were going to be judging it. So to parallel that with today, yeah, do people put something in there that they think is garbage. Yeah, but that's risky. And, and and in my perspective, also from an emotional intelligence perspective, you have to be part of emotional intelligence is you're going to be genuine. Mm-hmm. You're going to be honest. So when you try to manipulate, as soon as you're manipulating, you're no longer emotionally intelligent, that you're not demonstrating it in that moment. So if somebody brings three options and two of them are crap, and the other one is good. Number one, these people, they don't know which one is the best thing to do. So don't bring them any garbage to look at. Give them three things that you could live with. Uh, I recently had to had to uh, give some counsel about some iconography. And I gave three options that would work. I don't care which one. All three of these would work from a cognitive perspective. They work from a communicative perspective. They work from a usability perspective. I don't care which one you pick, but I'm not going to come in there with one like, you know, one good icon, another icon, and then a, an icon that looked like SpongeBob. I'm not going to do that because if somebody's <laughs> going to pick the SpongeBob icon, and now because I brought it in, I'm going to be held responsible for it. That's not ethical. It's not emotionally intelligent. So I, I would I would advise people make sure that you are being genuine. Make sure that you're being sharp. Make sure you're being respectful of your stakeholders, your clients, the business, your team. You are representing your UX team with what you bring forth. You want to represent the discipline because no matter where you are, where you work, who you are, 
Everything you do comes all the way back and it impacts your representing the discipline as well. So when you do something that's unethical, we're all going to potentially be impacted by that. So. When I have to present different options, what I usually do is I will explain the caveats for every option and yes. go, this is the one I prefer. And I tell them why yes. I go, basically, these are my reasonings. And then, but we have two options here and there's caveats. I want you to be aware of if we do this, this means X, Y, Z, but I don't just, I never just show three things and go, what right. do you think? Right. I'm not there to just go and give you something. I'm there as the professional. I'm giving you my opinion. Yes. Do this. Here's why, but there's two options here and here's the consequences of going with them. You know, I don't give them bad options because right, sometimes right, there have to be caveat states, but sometimes the best thing that I want to do might be costly from a development perspective. Right, right, right? exactly. And this is the real world. Sometimes it's just not going to be feasible. So you've it's, got to be aware of that. It, and it's interesting. Way. It's interesting too, because then having to be a little bit, you know, play defense or, or, or you know, uh, overall, you know, develop a, a sort of reactive posture because everything is challenged in UX all the time, right? And imagining what it would be like if the environment were, you know, uh, how do we say, just, you know, more more professional even, uh, you know, where it would be open to exploration rather than having to deliver on point all the time or have to kind of game the set of images that you're going to give to stakeholders, right? Um, that Because it's challenged. I mean, obviously, you always present work and options, but it's within this environment of, of more of a, a fear of uh, making a mistake rather than taking a risk mm. uh, and, and operating in an open and kind of emotionally trusting and collaborative way, right? Everybody's got their guard up, uh, you know, in the agency business where a lot of that legacy stuff where nobody yeah. liked the new UX guy, right? Or the new, <laughs> new UX person, um, you know, every meeting was like a knife fight and you get psychologically shanked and like I, I started calling, you know, and it was so petty, right? But you're just like, wow, like the stakes are so small, which is, it makes it even more vicious, right? I forget who, who's, there's a quote about that. The, the, the politics in academia are, are so small because, are so vicious because the stakes are so small. And it was similar in, oh in the turf God. wars of, uh, uh, you know, the agencies <laughs> and, and, um, and being vulnerable was a, a sign that, you know, something was wrong and that you needed to be, you know, that you, right. Um, you, you know, it was, it was meant to be competitive and very Darwinian. And I think that that made it become a bit sterile. Right. And now some of the agency work is so competitive. It's so predatory. It's so just bereft of any, any sense of its own ethics. It's just whether it's effective or not, it's mm -hmm. not whether it's, you know, causes damage or not. It's, it's just whether it's effective. I, I, There's I got, a lot of pressure there. Yeah. I got to use that again later. Psychologically shanked. <laughs> oh, That's, yeah. that, that is dynamite, right. uh, it, but uh, it, it's dynamite because it is true. <laughs> right. But, it, but yeah, it ties back to what we're talking about. It, it's, it's an EQ red flag. When somebody is shanking people, they know something, not all the time necessarily, but a lot of times. They do, and, and as one who really, I pride myself on being emotionally intelligent. I don't want to shank anybody uh, actively or knowingly or unknowingly. I refuse to do it knowingly and going to do everything I can to make sure that I don't do it where I'm unaware that I'm doing it. I, I want to be that self-aware that I know that I'm treating everybody with the utmost level of respect. 
That's just that's just what I'm going to do. I, and I'm extremely hard on myself. If I did do something that was wrong, uh, I'd really be on my case until I make sure that that's something that I will absolutely never do again. I, and I because I, I realize it's not only a representation of me, but it's something that will represent my it's, it represents my personal brand. It represents the team. It represents. I mean, because we're, we're trying to. You mentioned like the the psychological shanking the the people that don't like the UX person. Um, we're we're the one that's always trying to forget about the seat at the table. We're trying to to get trust. We're trying to earn the trust of our of our stakeholders, of our clients. And and if you're not emotionally intelligent, you're gonna have a very difficult time accomplishing that. Mm. You know, making sure to be considerate, making sure not to have the red flags active uh, and making sure that you you are self-aware and you are understanding things from everyone's perspective, lest I say um, uh, empathetic at this point today. But th- that's something that really helps. I wish people would, would embrace it more. But we're going to jump. I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And then we're going to jump to another. I want to bring up another topic here. Throw it out there. Sure. Just, uh, just you know, in uh, emotional intelligence, uh, you just inspired me because it really involves self-reflection. And, you know, in my twenties, I was a, a walking uh, set of red flags and I've taken, <laughs> it's taken most of my adult life to walk myself back from like ledge after ledge of, of, you know, uh, how particularly I think, you know, males in America are trained to take up space, to, uh, just get out there and say something, whether it just, just to be taking up the space. And so, yeah. uh, a lot of me, you know, even stuff that's well-intentioned, I either put too fine a point on it or, you know, uh, you've seen me. I mean, I'm out there fighting the good fight, Darren, but sometimes I, 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 you know, sometimes I maybe get a little clumsy and I do apologize. I'll roll <laughs> things back uh, because I don't mean I, the context that, 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 you know, is reflected back. It, I, I just sometimes wasn't aware of. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm being assumptive. Sometimes I'm, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to be some type of ridiculous savior. You know what I mean? Like all, all of these uh, um, really narcissists, it's like when narcissism collapses back in on itself, it, 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 it kind of looks like me on LinkedIn. <laughs> you really don't like people when they say that they working on Facebook. I notice the minute someone's like, I just got hired on Facebook. You're just, you, you oh. post like Facebook. <laughs> I feel all the world's hitting me. So here's my thinking on that. Facebook Facebook takes a negative comment and gives it five times more amplification than a like. And if you, if they did that in your home, which they are, you, your, your family had collapsed in less than 10 years, yep. your civilization would unravel. So the violence that Facebook is committing and pretending to be toxically positive, uh, I am, I'm only returning a small amount of that by making it somewhat professionally embarrassing to work at Facebook to a small amount of people <laughs> and only temporarily because I lost my mind at the, the hijacking of the term meta uh, right when to, to, to do that corporate, like we don't exist. Those weren't our, those weren't our crimes. We're not undermining your democracy. We didn't, you know, uh, uh, contribute to storming the Capitol. Uh, we're meta. We're above it. And they're not. It's all about avatars and you're going to be a tiger now. Oh, That's what God. we're about. <laughs> I know some people are going to get kicked. Some, somebody's going to get mad at me for mentioning this. because uh, And it's fine. We, we're, we're off the beaten path. Then again, we're not. It's still talking about EQ. Uh, that the uh, somebody did an expose and somebody's going to say that it is conspiracy theorists 
uh, in nature, but they said there's a lot of messaging, uh, some, uh, some under the radar, I want to call it subliminal, but maybe it is subliminal messaging in their, in their current ad campaign that um, there's a lot of occultism that is actually being presented in that ad. Uh, I thought that was an interesting take. Uh, I'll leave it's it. I'll show. leave it there. The one with the bu- the buffalo being eaten by the tiger. My then, friend, it is the painter is Henry Rousseau, uh, and he popularized visually the concept of the noble savage, uh, which is a racist trope that has been used oh, to apologize wow. for colonialism for over a hundred years. The irony of Zuckerberg's digital colonialism and the paintings of Henry Rousseau it made me dizzy and I try oh to bring it up God. and people won't even go there with me. And I'm like, <laughs> no. there's, also, there's also a writer. Henry still let that go through. That's what makes me mad. All of the bajillion people who work for Facebook lawyers and everything else, somebody knew exactly what they were doing. There. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I, I actually told some people without me getting into the details of what I learned, because uh, the person actually went very methodically through the whole commercial and explained piece by piece what was happening and what it was representing. I remember working at the creative agencies and I know that that's the stuff that happens in the meetings mm-hmm. that they'll roll out a commercial and it'll have all these moving parts. But when the common consumer sees the commercial, they just see the thing that's funny or they hear the music and they're not, there's like, if you hear somebody who was behind, who was working on the commercial, explain it, it, it feels like you're listening to a soliloquy. The, the, the mindset that goes into these things, nobody ever picks up on it. So there's this whole gigantic uh, address that explains why they had the, the tiger with the buffalo, why the tiger is eating the buffalo one minute, and why the next minute he's stroking the buffalo and then the next minute, he and the buffalo are both bobbing their head and dancing. And and uh, there's just all kinds of things that are going on. And the symbolism that's there, people don't get it. And we're in a society that's void, another EQ issue, again. We're in a society to, to a great extent. And, and even in UX, there is a gross lack. There is a dearth, a deficit when it comes to, emo, uh, um, well, yeah, it is emotional intelligence, but I want to specifically call out critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And so when the critical thinking isn't there, things do get past everybody. And that's why somebody can do a report and talk about the state of UX, and then people just say, oh, okay, and they think nothing of it. Or somebody can get up and say, hey, it's great. I'm an ex-Facebooker. I'm an ex-Amazon uh, employee. I'm an ex-this. I'm, I'm an ex-that. And so what does that mean? Nothing. It's because the, the fact that you are, you used to work there, doesn't mean that you know, that's not the pinnacle of UX. And, but somebody thinks that it does. It, 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 yeah. it means the person's insecure, right? And they're just looking for a potential. Yeah. And they know that other unsuspecting people who also lack critical thinking when they're looking for a job. I mean, I, I've interviewed places before and, and, and had the manager tell me, yeah, we've got a couple of people here. They're ex Facebook. Like I'm supposed to be impressed. I've been doing this stuff for 26 years. I don't care. When I started doing this, it wasn't even called UX. We were doing interaction design and information architecture. It was called one of the two. Facebook didn't come along until years and years and years later. And Facebook doesn't do UX right today. And all you have to do is use it every day to see, to get the pain and be subjected to the pain 
Uh, so it's really it's really not a good thing. So we I'd be embarrassed to, to have it on my <laughs> right. right. I'm, I try tipping that way. I actually try another EQ story, which which I'll I'll I'll, I'll sort of I'll tie this in. Um, I got to the last round of interviews, and for a researcher role at Facebook, and just seeing things because we need to take EQ into the interview. We need mm-hmm. to take EQ when we're in when we're evaluating job postings. There's EQ will help us there. Uh, when you go into an interview and there's a marketing person who's asking me marketing marketing questions, why is he even part of the interview? I've worked with marketing people before. I've been around for a bit. I recognize certain things. Why is he here? And I'm trying to get past that and deal with this. Then I see another person and that person doesn't have any experience. Then here's another person that's in the interview that just got hired, has no experience, but they're interviewing me. And, 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 and then, uh, I have somebody tell me once that say it was about the same set of interviews before I actually went into the final interview. Oh, the team is concerned that they think that your, your, your experience is more on the academic side. And I said, why in the world would they think that? Well, because your title, it was either UX architect or UX designer. I said, well, that's really interesting. So you just tell me something. I see Michelle making faces. You just oh, told heard. It's ridiculous. You just told me something about your team. Because prior yeah, exactly. to 2011 and 2012, we were all designers or architects. There were no specializations or very, very few. You didn't see UX researcher in 2008. Very few. I mean, some, but it was a blip. It was a blip on the radar. You didn't start seeing specializations till 2012, 2013, 2014. Then you start to see these things pop up. So for them to see UX designer and UX architect evaluate me from a from an EQ deficient perspective and then make assumptions about my experience when I didn't fudge anything on my resume. So, which when some of the people on your team did. You were in an interview. Isn't <laughs> that not the opportunity for them to go, I see you were a blah, blah. Yeah, Talk exactly. about that role. And then, oh, got it. Exactly. There's a critical uh, error there where they didn't do the job of interviewing. Yeah. It, it's, it, and, and it's it's uh, it's uh, preemptive turf war through definition of role, right? Bingo. It's it's redlining. It's <laughs> it's uh, uh, yeah. Love that redlining. Roles are nonsense. I've had all kind of stupid <laughs> official roles at my last job. You know, I was the UX lead, but in the system. I was lead programmer analyst because that's the role that matched with the salary because they didn't know what UX was. Right, right, right. And then yeah. another one, I was web administrator. I was not the web administrator. These, these titles don't mean anything. When I was at IBM, my title was uh, advisory software engineer. And that was, oh man, we won't talk about that. But it does make me think about something. I want to transition into another topic. I'm going to use that to jump in there. And and, and just talk about like get, uh, sort of building on something we were talking about a bit ago. The gaslighting that takes place in the workplace is a grossly um, EQ deficient um, red flag. They're just a gross red flag. That takes place. And I know we all have some stories about that. We've already talked about them, I think, a little bit. Uh, we have some, some off the com- completely off the beaten path uh, part of our discussion. But that's fine, too. 
But I have, I'm, I'm going to start this one off and then you guys can, can uh, use that as a jumping off point. I worked at a place once because they, uh, and I love what I think what, what Eric said is on the line of what I'm about to get at where people do this red, redlining and turf wars and, and the gaslighting becomes the mechanism by which these things are executed. I was working on a, at a nameless company, very big name company. Everybody would recognize it, at least in the States. If I mentioned it, um, there was a team of about 23, 24 UX people. Uh, I later found out that only two or three of us had prior UX experience. So we had a team full of what I common, all, com, constantly refer to as posers, retrofits, and upstarts. They were either, uh, they were transitioned into a UX position. They were, had another title and, <clears throat> excuse me, were brought into the team. You had, um, People who really weren't, you know, like everybody today wants to talk about they have a lot of people want to talk about how they have imposter syndrome, but really they're they, they're having a lot of self doubt. the The sad thing is that a lot of these people, so I'm bringing in the inferiority complex red flag as well on this one because uh, it's a part of the gaslighting that, that takes place. I go into a meeting one day. My boss calls me in and she says that uh, I wanted to have a talk with you about something. Oh, oh what is that? And I I didn't think. I had, I had no idea what we were going to talk about. I, nothing had ever been wrong. I had had pretty decent um, uh, time working at that company. I didn't. I wasn't experiencing a lot of crazy things. They were mi- quite minimal. And uh, so I go into this meeting, and the person tells me, "Yeah, one of the other people on the team says that that you're difficult to work with." And I went, "What? What do you mean?" Uh, can you give me an example? Because like I said, I bend over backwards to make sure that I do not disrespect or mistreat anybody. And I hold myself to an extremely high standard with regard. I'm not going to mistreat you, period. Just You couldn't pay me to mistreat you. You couldn't pay me to lie on you. Couldn't pay me to misrepresent. I just don't. That's just not me. That's never been me. When I was a kid, I wasn't like that. I'm just not that person. So when somebody told me that someone having a hard time working with me, I, I couldn't digest that. And I couldn't try to figure out where this is coming from, especially when I, it finally crossed my mind, we haven't worked together on anything. How am I difficult to work with if we've never worked on a project together? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. And I found out that the person, and, I'm, and because I'm really hard on myself, when somebody goes into this gaslighting mode, I still am going to go and examine myself in light of what was said. So I end up, you end up going through these, these, these uh, exercises of self-examination that, yeah, you still might find something to work on, but at the same time, it, it's really, it, it becomes a form of mental abuse in a sense. And I found out the person didn't have a problem with my work. I found out, I got to the bottom of it. The person heard me, saw me on LinkedIn, saw what I was saying on LinkedIn and she was concerned that I would think that she was one of the posers. And so she sat there and like we were talking about earlier, Michelle was talking about earlier, the person sat there, had a conversation with themselves of which my imaginary representation was present in that imaginary conversation. And when, by the time all of that was over, um, the person took that imaginary conversation and it became reality to them and it manifested in that person going to the boss in tears 
saying that I was difficult to work with, even though nothing to promote that had ever truly really happened. I should not have even been called into the boss's no, office. That's, that's absurd. <laughs> and, and it's beyond absurd because I, I've had the situation. I was at a company one time. I was new there. And like within the first few weeks, my boss was brought me into her office. She's like, so people here, they, they don't really like you. And I was just looking at her like, what do you want me to do with that? Do you have a problem with my work? No. Then what the hell do I care? <laughs> These people don't like me. Give me some examples. I went out of my way like you to be nice to people, to talk to people. None of these people spoke to me. They didn't like yep. ask me any questions about anything. <laughs> they ignored me, but they don't like me. And I'm like, I don't care. This is completely <laughs> subjective nonsense that has nothing to do with anything. Yep. And quite honestly, you should not even be having this conversation with me right now because what am I supposed to do with this information? Right. Right. So I am mad that your boss even bothered to tell you this because they should have had enough sense to go, you know what? You got mad because you saw something that he wrote on the interwebs and <laughs> applied it to yourself. And now you feel sad and you've got little tears inside. And so you feel bad, but you want me to go and what? What do you want me to do with this? You want me to take Darren in here and like take him to task for an imaginary thing he didn't do? They should have said, sorry, you feel that way. Go deal with yourself. Goodbye. And then that should have been the end of that. Yeah, sure. Actually, I think sometimes I'll, <laughs> in those situations, I'll, I'll 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 try to say like, hey, you know, you're you're not you're not mad at me. You're mad at reality, right? Like, <laughs> like 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 people, you know, people. I, I would always say people love my results, but not my process. And I was like, how do you think I get the results? And so I'm having conversations about like that's how you have to do it, or it's not research. Right. And so yep. they, 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 you know, they're, they're mad at the process that has to be done. They challenge that because it challenges their turf and their assumption and their ability to call a shot based on their gut rather than getting everybody out of the process. And so it, it does, it becomes, you know, like, like Michelle saying the you know, the popularity, that's the toxic positivity. Like I'm not here to be yes. popular, although yep. as a, as a needy empath, it kills me not to be. So thanks. Right. Like, you know, but, but to be like, people secretly don't like you or, you know, your, your process is too complicated or, you know, research, you know, slows things down. The only thing research slows down is the number of mistakes you're going to make. Right. Yep. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's it. So just amazing. You should see the things that without me getting into it too much, you should see the things that I experience just because people are offended that I actually had a person because I'm going after my PhD. I'm about to start my, my dissertation soon. Um, and I had a person write me once who used to torment me at work. This person attacked me during the interview. I told them, don't hire this person. He did X, Y, and Z. I knew that he was a white supremacist by what he did during the interview. He actually, we actually stopped interviewing him and he attacked me for like the last 15, 20 minutes of the interview. We really didn't even finish interviewing the guy. And I said, don't interview this guy because he did X, Y, and Z. It's a reflection of his professionalism, blah, blah, blah. They hired him anyway. So when they did that, that gave him green light to attack me. He spent X amount of time working and X amount of time attacking. He attacked me like he was getting paid to attack me. So, like, the, like the office Kyle Rittenhouse? Yeah. You remember was, that post? What worse? was saying all the Kyle Rittenhouses uh, <laughs> in all the offices. That's funny. The... the, the uh, 
the unconscionable oh. wholesale uh, damage to the souls of both the, on all sides of white supremacy. Mm. Uh, and the thing is that sometimes white supremacists will use the guise of debate to buy time yeah. to actually do something far worse, which is why sometimes you can debate Nazis and sometimes you got to punch Nazis because <laughs> <laughs> they don't punch themselves. Yeah. This guy. Quite honestly, the interview you had where the guy was giving you crap, if I was interviewing someone and they were talking smack to me, it would have taken everything and I'd jump over the table. <laughs> I have zero tolerance for stupid. I won't have it. And I would have walked right out and said, this person gets hired over a dead body. That's yeah. it. It was Not funny. When I finally left, HR apologized to me because they found out what he was doing to me the whole time. And HR at that company apologized to me when I left for not taking action. I don't know if they were concerned I was no, going to sue them. Yeah, that's why they were. <laughs> yeah. He reached out to me one day. He said, he said, are you still getting a PhD? I said, yes. And that was it. He just wanted to know if I was still doing a PhD. The people are angry. They're angry. Uh, and, and I, I get, I've been shushed at a local UX meeting before for, for talking to, I, I just got up once recently and I said something about, remember, it's not just about the work. Same thing I always talk about. It's not just about the work. You got to be ready. You got to have thick skin. You got to be ready for different challenges. And, you know, the UX maturity level uh, at a company, if it's low, that might result in this, this, and this. And the person in charge of the meeting got mad and shh, Darren, shh, because they didn't want me to discourage anybody. These people are going to be blindsided if you don't tell them. Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. Still talking about EQ red flags. It, it, it's sad that, we're, we're, we're being subjected to so many different things in UX today mm. with regard to the misunderstanding. You know, Michelle mentioned UX, people still confused about UX, UI. Uh, Eric talked about uh, how pe- you want to do research and people get in the way of you doing research. You can't do research. And then you got low UX maturity levels. And then you got, they, sometimes they won't hire enough people for your team. So now the team is taxed and people are burning out. And then you got other situations where uh, people think that UX is really UI. So all they want to do, they just want you to want you to make things look pretty. But you're trying to enhance the user experience. And then other people on the team are taking over the work and getting you out of the way. I had a developer come to a meeting once with a a, a, a prototype, uh, not a prototype, but a mock-up that he did in Microsoft Paint. I didn't even know Microsoft Paint existed, let alone how comedic that was for that to have happened. If you wanted to collaborate, if you got an idea, come tell me about it, and, and let's go through it. And if it's if it works, then I'll, I'll put it in. But don't you know jump over the wall and talk about what you did in paint like you did something. That's an insult. And then do it the opposite way. Go to the developer <laughs> with this cool idea. I think you should take some JavaScript and jam yeah. it up this thing and do some conditional blah Ex- and watch them lose their brain. Exactly. Conditional blah. Yeah, blah, exactly know. what I told the team. That's so that, awesome. <laughs> I told them that. I said if I came into walked into the meeting and showed them how I redid the code, I would be hanging from, from the pole, from the, from the streetlight pole outside the, <laughs> outside the building. It, it, so I don't know, for some reason, people think that it's okay to do this. But at any rate, I... I it's because they can match their socks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's an amazing thing. Well, I, I struggle I, with. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but people need to know. And, and uh, I, get, I get shot down for... For doing it, and I've been pursued by people who are just angry. Uh, I mm. one day I did a design. I, we were doing some research with some kids going to a school and showing kids with National Geographic learning 
showing people some designs, some little, some little seventh, seventh grade kids and getting some feedback and then coming back and taking that data and reworking the design. And one of the other UX designers, it was a department full of retrofits. There was only one person mm-hmm. that wasn't. And the, uh, <laughs> the uh, person looked over my shoulder, saw the design I was working on, and she just went, mm. and that was it. <laughs> and she walked out and she never said another word to me in life. I never heard a single solitary thing from her again. And then she transferred back and became a project manager and she left the UX department. I mean, I was just, I'm doing what, <laughs> what I do, what I do. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's just sad. All of these things happening in UX make it tough. And then we have to deal with things like that. We have to deal with the, the devaluing of other people. We have to deal with the trolling. We have to deal with people having inferiority complexes. Should we have to go through things like that? Acting as though her surprise were some sort of uh, award, right? It's like insane. I mean, that's, it's so upside down that it's, it's um, one of the benefits, I think, uh, if I may make that extension, is that you have one of the most unerring, uh, accurate, and objective uh, ethical uh, uh, sort of minds in the field, which is why I, I was originally just sort of attracted and commented and started following your thought leadership um, is that, you know, you, the, the BS meter, it, 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 it moved absolutely to truth and not to anything else. And I was like, <laughs> who's that guy? And why, you know, and often I would feel that way and feel isolated and, and be doing a similar thing. Right. So I think, um, you know, I don't know. I think, I think, uh, it's extremely important to look at the soul crushing damage of systemic inequity uh, and, and, yeah. and also celebrate the resilience and, and then astounding almost uh, transcendence uh, that's possible. Yes. And you just mentioned something that's huge that I don't think I've talked about yet. The people who are operating in UX spaces today who get subjected to a lot, and still take a stand is a huge testimony to the character of such individuals. And, and that gets overlooked. It's almost like, I don't really expect it. It's not going to happen, but you wish there was a way that, that it would, that it would, I mean, in a sense it works out in my favor because I still maintain a good attitude and you still make sure to do the work. I refuse to be, and I've said this in the EQ series, never become the people that are subjecting you to EQ red flags mm. under any circumstances. They, they can yell and scream and do all they want. They can lie. I'm not going to lie on them. They can, they can try to set traps. I won't, I've, I've had traps set. I've had, I've had things stolen from me. Uh, the one, one of the items on the list, uh, detrimental ambition, people who are willing to get ahead at the, at the expense of others. I'm not, I refuse to do that. I've been victimized by it, but I refuse to do it. I will not compete with coworkers ever. I absolutely will not. I'm not going to try to do something so that I can be viewed as better than you. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to step on somebody else's toes. I am. 
Yeah, go ahead though. Go ahead, Eric. Well, it's it's, it's almost like you have this this set of, of sort of green flags or, or these techniques to respond with, you know. And so it's interesting that each red flag has a corresponding set of kind yes. of emotional intelligence tactics. Yes. For example, uh, you not wanting to be a manager. No, see, I have this belief that I've developed over over my lifetime that anybody who wants to be a manager probably shouldn't be, and people <laughs> who don't want to be would make great managers. That could be wrong, but that, that, and that's why I would be very comfortable reporting to you as a manager because you don't want the job because you know, <laughs> you know, what's involved, especially to do it ethically. Right. And so uh, it, which I always, I, I sometimes say that in interviews and uh, it, it, uh, you know, it puts the managers on their heels a little. Right? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Cause to have a good boss is worth its weight in gold, like a mm-hmm. hundred times over. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of other people, the, the sociopaths and the narcissists, they want the position, but they want the position. They don't want to do the work, and they really don't want to groom the people. And those kind of people, uh, I delivered a talk. I, I, I got to keep this one anonymous. I delivered. I was brought in to deliver a UX talk for a major Fortune 500 company. I went in and delivered a talk. The first time I ever delivered my talk on the UX cycle of excellence, I delivered it for their team of 30 UXers. And there was talk about bringing me into that company. They were, they were curious. They, we need to have him on our team. I'm like, okay, well, this might be, this might be a good way to go. This might be pretty good at the time I was in the market. And <laughs> then I took a look at, while we were in the meeting, as I normally do at some point in time, I start to look up the players that who's interviewing with me, what have you, on LinkedIn. Let me understand who they are. This person was one of those folks who ascended to a UX leadership role without really having a UX background. Those are some, if, unless they really respect UX, and they'll, they'll show signs if they do. Those are some of the worst people in the world to work for, and they are some of the most insecure people who have these inferiority complexes. If I know I've been doing UX for 26 years, you don't even have to talk to me to know that I know more potentially than you. So what? I mean, there's when you have people on a baseball team using a sports metaphor, one person might be a potential uh, a future Hall of Famer, another person might not. But it's the team that w- wins or loses the game. It's always about the team and how we mesh. I don't care what anybody knows or doesn't know. If somebody knows something, great. Then we got a heavy hitter on our team. I'm happy about that. There's somebody on our team that's entry level. Hey, if there's anything I can do to help you grow, let me know. Anything you want to know about, I'm here for you. I'll support you. That's why the person that said I was difficult to work with, I didn't mention, I did everything to help that person grow. Even though we weren't working together. I extended myself just like I do now. The stuff I'm doing on LinkedIn and the stuff I do with my videos and all of that and all these talks I do, I don't get paid for any of them. I do this stuff. I give of myself because I feel indebted to the discipline and because I want to help people grow in the discipline and I want to help the discipline. It's got nothing to do with making a star out of me. I couldn't care less. As soon as I'm done talking, I disappear into the, into the shadows. I'm not, I'm not putting myself out there. I'm not trying to be seen. I couldn't care less. I'm actually shy and people don't even know that. So (laughs) I don't care about any of that. My wife doesn't know I'm home half the time. If I'm not where she is, she doesn't know I'm home because I'm that quiet. But I want everybody to grow. And and when you come into these situations where, you know, the person, the four, the person I talked about, the 900 person UX team, she wasn't going to hire me. She's got no UX experience. So I'm, a, I'm, she's intimidated. 
And I've been told I'm intimidating. I don't even say anything. I just sit there and they think I'm intimidating. I'm not a big guy. I'm only five nine and a half. Jesus. But these white people think he's a big guy. I'm five nine. I don't know why people see me as six five. I'm five nine. But the five nine and a half, I take my half inch. <laughs> but they're intimidated or they they oh he's got all these master degrees. So it's because I like education. So what? It's still a benefit to the team. I, I'm thinking about what I bring to the table as what it will contribute to the team. I'm not thinking about my my accolades and my achievements as something for me to give me an excuse or a reason to justify sticking my chest out on the corner and act like I've got an S under my chest. That's not my mindset. And and But some people, when somebody has an inferiority complex, they won't look at it from that perspective. They simply will not. And, and that's when you need more EQ. When you have a higher level of EQ, you can accept anybody. You know, I mean, when I come in contact with, and I've, I've been on, I've shared the stage with Alan Cooper, but I wasn't trying to. They called me to the stage on, in a Zoom call. They called, I wasn't trying to say anything, but they called me to the stage. But, but, but for the most part, hey, Alan Cooper, I'm back here. I want, I want to learn. I come into contact with Jacob Nielsen. I met him one time. I just want to hear what he has to say. I'm not trying to be one of the people that's got to be heard and saying things, even if it doesn't even hold water, because I just want to take up space, like Eric was saying earlier. You know, but how many people, when somebody is deficient, EQ deficient, that's not what they do. They want to be seen. These people who, this one person I heard about on uh, Instagram, I think I saw their profile once. Uh, who has like three at the time, like three months of UX experience in promoting themselves as a mentor. I mean, this I is, yeah. <laughs> this is, that's ridiculous. That is beyond ridiculous. I think they were super <laughs> impressed because they were able to use storytelling to convince someone to hire them. And I'm like, storytelling is code for bullshit. Uh, so you BS your way into a job with no experience. And now you want people to pay you money so you can show them how to BS their way into a job. Uh, yeah, yep. it's kind of insane. And that's yeah. what a lot of it is. The person who put the video out on YouTube where they said that I got a, I got a job in UX with no experience. I think they said they had a leadership job and, and the, and the video was all produced. They even showed the peep, the person's feet while they're walking to the building. Come on now. Really? Do I need to see your feet? Cause you're walking to the building. It's like a little pseudo Hollywood production. They're like, something. it's real. It's a real place. <laughs> Well, feet and <laughs> just absolutely ridiculous. And these people, the guy who goes out there, I worked at Amazon. I worked at Google and I have five years experience, but I'm going to educate the world about research. Dude, I don't care what you have to say. And everything you say is so cookie cutter that you're, you're not really ready. And this is about you being a star. It's not about people learning more about the craft and people can't sniff that stuff out. So sadly, but that's where we are. I think I personally think that EQ, the more, the more people who embrace it, it helps us at our job. It helps us with our personally. It helps us with our teams. It helps us represent the discipline inside the organization. It helps us represent the discipline as a whole. It helps us to engage with our stakeholders and our clients in a fruitful and a productive manner. And it helps us to just manage everything because 
this discipline has still isn't a manageable or a position that requires being managed. And when people are not in a position to manage it, it will manage you. And that's the that's unfortunately the 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 uh, compromising position that we're in today. The more people embrace EQ, the better off everybody is. So I just I wish people would embrace it more. You would see the trolling would go away on social media. <laughs> Michelle wouldn't get attacked for telling the truth. <laughs> If people had an EQ, though, we wouldn't have uh, the state of the world we have now. And True. we can't have that with people <laughs> being logically <laughs> kind and, and rational and all that good stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> right. true. I, I heard it said uh, that, you know, that feeding any world hunger is not a technolo- technology problem. It's an emotional problem. Yeah. 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 And, you know, the funny thing about that, too, I, I this little side note, when somebody is uh, starving, at a certain point, uh, they will reject food, and people don't don't realize that. A starving person at a certain point, you can put food in front of them, and they'll just push it away. Same thing point. happens with depression. <laughs> yep. People, people get a certain amount of depression in front of you. You push it away. <laughs> no, meaning uh, <laughs> that that would be lovely. <laughs> But it's just interesting stuff. But I, I enjoy this as always. There, there's just a ton that is uh, going on, and, and I'm, I'm just glad to. I'm glad to have somebody that will come on and willing to share uh, your thoughts on, on these subjects. And uh, we trust that the there's a people. Everybody won't receive it. I really don't care about that. I'm concerned about the ones who will, and and we will all collectively take the discipline forward. So yeah. That's it. That's all the time we have for this week, everybody, uh, for this episode. Thank you. Thanks to Eric for for joining us. Thank you to Michelle for joining us and is our custom when we have guests on. Uh, Closing words. Uh, Eric, we'll start with you. Any closing words for the audience today? Yeah, I just really want to celebrate the... the, you know, elevation of the topic of EQ. I want to encourage everybody to kind of look into it and not just be intellectually aware of it, but really try to look into some of the exercises, practices. Uh, It can take some time, but, um, you know, uh, everybody can work on it. Everybody can learn. Everybody can improve. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll take that moment to mention, uh, because I don't think I've said it, I need to put the link in. Uh, with the metadata for the podcast, you can go to mindtools.com and they do have a very quick and dirty kind of EQ eval that will give you some starting points if you're looking to to build your EQ more and, and to realize where you are currently in your, in your journey. Uh, don't do like some of the people where I gave my talk on EQ and when they found out their scores and found out mine, a riot ensued. Don't be like that. When you find out, when you find out what your score is, don't get upset about somebody else's great score. Uh, just get to work on you. Uh, but the, the, the worse the worse your score is, the more likely you are to have trouble dealing with it. That's true. Yeah, we found out why their scores were so low. That's for sure. That's another rim shot, and we put that in there. Uh, Michelle, any closing words from you? I would say to look up logical fallacies so that you can both identify them when someone is using them against you and also to make sure that you are not perpetuating them into this world and yourself 
uh, being what I consider intellectually lazy by uh, not knowing how to argue or not argue, but just, just be able to say something and explain it rationally without um, resorting to manipulation tactics to get across. Because I think some of these people, you learn them just by existing in this world mm-hmm. and then you start doing them and you don't even realize it. And uh, I think the state of this universe could be so much better if we would stop uh, with these kind of manipulation tactics and just learn how to communicate better. Absolutely. Dynamite, dynamite stuff. So again, thanks to our guests on today. Uh, looking forward to, I get a, a lot of feedback and, and then we will get ready and schedule the next time. We got to get together and talk about another topic. I love the dynamics, love the energy and, and uh, love all the voices, I keep saying this, there are so many voices worthy of hearing in the world of UX. And I love the, the fact that I have a venue that I can use to share these voices. There's voices, there's a bunch of people out here that we don't need to hear that are being heard. And then there's some voices that we need to hear that you don't know about. And I'm going to do everything I can to bring people on my show to share uh, across the whole spectrum of the world of UX so that we can all be better for it. So, That's all the time we have for today, folks. So thanks again for joining us. Um, We will resume the different content that we have on the subject next week. So until then, time to sign off. This is your host, Darren Hood of the World of UX. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.